0: Strength of schedule is not strength of schedule because of all the variants, all the things that can happen, all it takes is a couple injuries, and two of your toughest games are now middle of the road games because you 're facing backup quarterbacks or just the timing of it. You could have a, a game especially with seventeen games now you could have a game against your toughest opponent in week seventeen and that that opponent might be resting their players now you, you and there 's no way to tell that in may. <coughs>
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis, and this week's conversation is with Andy Molitor. Andy's the co-host of the Deep Dive podcast, he's also the co-host of a daily sports betting livestream, Brown Bag Bets, as well as the director of content for the sports betting platform, Betsperts. So needless to say, Andy's entrenched in the sports betting space And that makes him an ideal guest to break down the recently released 2021 NFL schedule from a betting perspective, so in this conversation, he and I will work to separate the signal from the noise. We'll get into Andy's background in betting, and also in the conversation, we'll play a little game of Mythbusters when it comes to popular talking points around the schedule, with the goal being to isolate what's actionable. And we'll also dive into the betting content space through the lens of Andy's podcasting experience as well as his role with BetsBurts, so if that sounds good, I'd appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, the number one way you can support this show is to leave a rating and review. To that end, I'll take a brief moment to share the latest review courtesy of Zach from the podcast There's a Movie for That. Zach said... This guy knows what he's talking about and has the stats to back it up. I usually bet with my gut, but listening to this pod made me think differently about a couple things. Plus, some great beer suggestions, felt like a buddy talking sports and beer to me, which is what I want from my pod. First off, thanks Zach, I really appreciate the kind words, and beyond that, I'm open to any and all feedback. So please weigh in with any topics you'd like to hear this show cover in the world of betting and beer. One more housekeeping item, if you're looking for actionable information across major sports without having to wait for the NFL season to kick off, check out Dimers.com for daily picks covering the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and more. Alright, and with that, let's get to this week's conversation with Andy Molitor. Andy Molitor, the Minnesota half of the Deep Dive Podcast. It's an honor to have you on to talk NFL schedule from a betting point of view. Thanks for taking time to join Props and Hops.
0: Yeah, no problem. I've uh I'm excited to talk. I've seen the rundown you sent me. There's a lot of NFL on there. That uh that was an instant yes. I'm like, yeah, I'll come talk NFL. I'm jacked for all the stuff we've had. The draft's over, but you know, the schedule reveal, you know, with all the leaks during the day, it's uh it's that time of year again.
1: Yeah, kind of a 24-7, 365 business at this point, and I'm glad we can dive into this topic. And to help set the stage before we get there, I'd also love to shed some light on your background as a better, and to kick things off, if you could describe your journey as a better, maybe going back as far as the first bet you remember making.
0: Yeah, you know, I goofed around with friends and really I was paying a better vig back then because it was just crossing with friends for five bucks over a football game here or there. I think maybe the first one I really think back was the Niners-Chargers Super Bowl in like fifth grade, I want to say it was. Uh, the nine, I had the Niners, so I was undefeated at that point. But yeah, a little of that and then I, I did get into some of the Early offshore stuff when somebody introduced me like, Hey, you could bet on football and the internet now. And back when the, you know, the internet wasn't new, but some of the features that were starting to roll out were pretty cool when it was like, Oh, we can play poker online. We can bet on sports online. It was crazy. So I didn't get real serious into it until I did discover some gambling Twitter, really. And I started, I found some pick accounts. I'm like, Oh, there's like experts just giving out their picks. And you find out that's not true. But, you know, getting into that community, getting into that part of Twitter, I did make some good connections. I found some people. I found Drew, Dinzik. I, you know, and through that, we started the deep dive in through that, founded more and more connections with, you know, uh, even some professional betters out there. There's been some great information I've been able to absorb through that and, you know, talk to other people about their process and absorb some of the things that I like about how they do things. So just, yeah, the community and the network uh, has really probably been the biggest thing that's evolved my my betting process throughout the years, I think.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And I have a soft spot as well for that 90, I guess it was January 95, that Chargers Niners Super Bowl. That was my first year as a football fan. I grew up in San Diego. So obviously the game did not go well for me. But just realizing, hey, the NFL is a cool thing. We have a local team. And as far as I knew up to that point, they went to the Super Bowl all the time. So how much worse could it get? And uh, yeah, things can things can get quite a bit worse. That's the last time they even sniffed the Lombardi Trophy, and and they didn't even really sniff it that much in that game. So, fingers crossed things can turn around soon. Um, there's there's some promise for the Chargers, but sure. um, we might touch on them a bit as we get into some of the schedule details. But before then. Um, I'd also love to touch on just how you go about juggling multiple sports in, you know, in your process, handicapping a lot of NFL, but also you've done a lot in golf. You're doing a lot with golf right now. That's really cool. Also, when college basketball overlaps with the NFL, you're pretty active in both. What's that process like to make sure that you're covering all your bases, but also operating at a high enough level in each sport?
0: I think it it comes down to your time management. And when I say that, I don't even just mean on a daily. I've, again, this is something I've absorbed from other people who do multiple sports or even people who do one sport at a high level. They tell me, you know, that was like a, an aha moment as far as how early they start working on stuff. And, uh, you know, if basketball starts tomorrow and you just, oh, I gotta scramble and get all my stuff ready, you're done. You know, like having all your college basketball stuff in place early, having your NFL prep done months in advance where you, you have your baseline stuff and then you just have to make small adjustments throughout the off season, like once we get to training camp, once we get to preseason, once we, you know, there's some injuries or something, if I already know what I think of these teams and how I have them rated, I have all my notes and and everything put together, then I don't have to do a ton of work once we get to the season. So uh, the prep work months, literally months in advance, I think is the biggest thing. Um, And then just, you know, making sure you're staying on top of stuff during the season, obviously is probably the most of the work then. Once you have you, you know, once you have your, your processes and your everything set up to go, I think, you know, most of it's just paying attention to the news and staying on top of, especially with golf when there's, you know, club changes or, you know, somebody's doing something or, you know, like a guy has, a, there's been a few of these now where we've had, uh, w- golfers' wives with pregnancies and silly things like mm-hmm. that. Just, just little things you need to stay on top of or with, with the uh, college basketball. Staying on top of the transfer portal this summer is going to be like all of it. Like that's, it hasn't been like this ever. And then the the NFL, obviously I've, I've gotten into a comfortable, you know, process of how I start and you know, from like right now, I'm going to start getting ready for the NFL right now with, we have the baseline of the regular season win totals out. We even have some lines for week one. The draft is over. You know, we can still see some moves, but you don't see a ton of moves from team to team now. And, you know, I can start to get my, you know, start to get a a big picture look at all these teams and slowly uh, refine that as we get to the season. So juggling multiple sports is tough when you get around to it. And that's where I, I do lighten up on golf in the fall, which is, it's nice how the season works out. Golf kind of lightens up when, you know, you get into the real heavy part of the season where it's a lot of college basketball, a lot of football. Golf is light that time of year. So it does work out. And maybe that's a, maybe that's some advice. You know, if you want to handicap two sports, maybe don't pick the NBA and NHL because it's like there, there's literally, you know, almost a hundred percent overlap. If you're looking, you know, maybe go baseball and football where the overlaps aren't as bad or even tennis and football, golf and football. There's so many that don't have a massive overlap. I think, I think people would have an easier time with that.
1: Yeah. You touched a lot on prepping ahead of time and really finding your process for each sport. And that makes me think of how competitive the landscape can be if you want to win at this. And at the same time, listening to what you've done over the years with, whether it's on the deep dive or brown bag bets or or what you're doing with BetSports now, you bring such a sense of humor to what can be a pretty seriously competitive landscape. What's your approach? Maybe it's natural, but maybe some of it's also just to keep things in check. What's your approach to making sure that this all, I mean, it sounds at least like you're having a blast doing something that's also a lot of pretty hard work.
0: Yeah, and that's the, you know, the old saying, whatever I paraphrase it, I suppose, like, if you're doing something you love, you're not really working or you'll never work a day in your life. It it comes down to that. Like we, especially Drew and I, we just love the NFL and we, we had this moment of like clarity the first year we did it. I think somewhere mid-season. We said, are we – I asked him because I didn't really know exactly how he did the year before. I'm like, are you better at NFL handicapping this year? Because, I, like, I am. And I think, the, you know, just sitting and talking about it for a couple hours a week with somebody and, you know, also having the a little bit of accountability because you're not just making bets and it's the only two people that know about it are you and your bookie. It's like, you know, we're putting a little bit of accountability, putting it out there in a podcast forum. And it made you double think about, uh, you know, double or think a little more about some of the things we we're doing and saying and the reason behind some of our bets. And you know, th- that was a lot of fun, but the, you know, the, the relationship between me and Drew right away, he said that he's like, you, you bring some wit and some levity and to this right away. And it's like, I think this will be a good combination. And obviously, you know, we've been doing. 300 episodes, 350 some episodes since then. It's, it's been a fun relationship and it it does work out well. And yeah, some of that, some of the stuff I say is just off the cuff and that, that does turn into a a little more fun. And I think there's going to be more of that because with, with the way the landscape's going, it's a crowded space and you're going to have to be entertaining if you want some people to come back and listen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I think we can hopefully in an entertaining fashion, start to break down the NFL schedule from a betting perspective. And right off the top, I'd like to start with what I think of as probably a more conceptual caveat that it's fun that the schedule's out now and we can see, you know, when teams have a bye week, start looking at factors like strength of schedule. We'll get into that, but there might be some room to react. We also want to be mindful not to overreact, especially when it comes to putting bankroll on the line at this point. Um, the phrase humble confidence comes to mind, especially at a time like this where you need to be confident if you're going to bet into a market where the odds are stacked against you. But there also needs to be a degree of humility, understanding that there's a lot of variance in play. Who's to say what's going to happen over the next several months? I mean, this time last year, did anybody think Josh Allen would lead the Bills to the AFC championship game or that the Niners would fall as far as they did, even though the Super Bowl hangover is a thing every year, but but to plummet to six and 10 as they were decimated by injury. Like, it's tempting to think we know more than we do right now. So we'll try to get into what we do know, but also maybe respect the variance that inevitably is going to rear its head at certain points in the coming months.
0: Yeah, and when you do get involved in, like, if you're just speaking strictly to season-long markets, like regular season win totals, player awards, player stat props like that, there's high variance, you know. You can you can have a very complicated model. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can be the smartest person in the world and really find a huge edge on some player prop over, perhaps, or a regular season win total over. And there's still a very long tail to the under on a lot of these, whereas a player gets injured or in a regular season win total. I had a massive – and granted, it was very early on. It was lower limits, but I still love the number. I got the world's best number on the Dallas Cowboys over. Cause I bet it literally the day after the Super Bowl when it immediately, when it opened, it shot up like 20 cents immediately. It moved, I think a full half game and then it was even juiced to the over. There are some people hanging a full game off of what I'd bet and the, that Cowboys over never had a chance. Like multiple injuries, the defense got even worse than I thought it would be. And then you lose your quarterback, you're losing half the light. Like it just. Injury after injury, the Cowboys over never had a chance. So you do have to respect that variance when you're betting into something that, like I said, I bet it in February. You know, that's something that those games don't even start till September. So it's it's a long time to even get the games going. And then those bets don't settle till January of the next year. So it's it's something I don't love to get involved with a lot because I feel like I have edges in other things where I can be using that bankroll you know, putting it to better use. But I say that every year and then something like Raiders with over eight games pops out and I sit and bet that as much as I can anyway. So there, I think you do like need to evaluate your edge. And I think you should feel like you have a much stronger edge if you want to get involved in a, in a full season, you know, market like that, especially what are we May 14th right now? You know, again, we don't have games starting for four months. You need four, and then the the whole season. So it's going to be a long time before these even settle. If you really want to tie up bankroll that long, you I think you really need need to have a you know a strong take, a strong edge, or you you think the market is just dead wrong on something. And I know people who <clears throat> allocate parts of their bankroll just for this. They say you know, this is a separate part of my bankroll and that's all I'll be spending on this. Or, you know, it does come down to management too because if you bet a bunch of regular season win totals, you can be as right as you want. You might be reloading some accounts, uh, you know, sooner than you want to if you find some bad variance in the daily bets because a lot of your bankroll is just sitting there tied up in stuff that's not settling for eight months. So I I think take it easy on those would be the advice. But at the same time, I'm sitting here every day looking at, you know, the, the win totals, the award markets, things like that. There, there are some definite edges. I can't imagine how many times we, we sat and bet the max at some low limit books on Chase Young to win defensive rookie of the year because we, we just loved it so much. Like, I don't, I don't love tying this money up, but at the same time, like, he's going to win this. This is, this is the bet. So I'll still do it, but, uh, you know, everybody does bankroll management differently. I think, that's something you need to look at your process, your bankroll, your what are you going to be betting between now and January? How much money do you need for that? And kind of make some evaluations based on that.
1: Yeah, I like the point about, you know, it's still something to look into, but consider probably more something to do for fun. And the threshold uh, in terms of what edge you need should probably get raised a decent bit because if my thought a few minutes ago was a conceptual caveat that, okay, let's have some fun with this and and maybe react a little bit, but be mindful of not overreacting that more prescriptive advice of weighing the pros and cons of getting in at a good number, even if the limits are low versus tying up bankroll for, you know, it's four months. If you're looking at week one, it's upwards of eight months. If you're looking at something that's going to get graded after the Super Bowl. So there's, there's a lot to weigh there. I know that Spanky is a very prominent player in this space and he tweeted out before the schedule release, What I thought was something that was generally good advice and certainly well-intentioned, just urging people to probably not tie up their money for this long. And I totally get it. You explained why that might be a risk. I also think that it could depend on if somebody, you know, bets a lot outside of the NFL. There are a lot of people who might not be looking to bet a ton come Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, right around the corner. It's you know we're gonna have the Olympics. It looks like so. how much are people gonna want to bet on things like that versus if, you know, if you just want the NFL and if your bankroll allows for it, then maybe you don't have to be as cautious. But regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, it's something to be mindful of. There there's a bit of a trade-off in something that may not be rated for eight months versus something that you might bet that gets rated in a few hours.
0: Yeah, like somebody like our friend Suma, uh, our German friend there, he I again, maybe it's because he's German, but the the absolute Discipline that guy shows. He doesn't bet anything but the NFL. Like that's what he bets. I I mean, I I don't even know if he does. I'm gonna have to ask him that. Like, do you even, you know, just tickle soccer at all a little? Because he's he's a big Schalke fan, and I, I don't think so, man. That that guy's bankroll is dedicated to the NFL. Where somebody like that. He doesn't have to worry about, oh, what if I bet and lose a bunch of baseball or NBA playoffs this year? Like, it's he has his money that's set aside for the NFL, and, and that's where, you know, he bets more of these regular season win totals than we do, and that's fine because that's how he's allocated his bankroll. It's already allocated for the NFL for those futures. So kind of, yeah, and it really does depend on what you're doing with the bankroll the rest of the year as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to set the stage for, you know, let's have some fun with this, but also try to be responsible with it. Yeah. And on that note, I think we can go ahead and dig into it. So what I have in mind with you is to play maybe a game of Mythbusters, if you will, when it comes to popular talking points around the schedule. And I think we can categorize some factors maybe into three buckets. Um, one being it probably just doesn't matter. Two, okay, maybe it matters, but it's priced into the line. So Betting-wise, what can you do with it? Or three, yeah, it matters, and maybe we do have an edge there when it comes to betting. So True. getting into some factors to put into those categories, looking at, um, you know, we can get league-wide and team-specific, but starting with league-wide factors, strength of schedule. I almost look at as a two-parter. Um, in one sense, I I know that I think of it as the mainstream media methodology of looking at last season's. One loss record, you know, looking at those win percentages and using that as strength of schedule. And we can probably pretty quickly rule that out as something that just doesn't matter. I mean, again, going back to the Niners, they were 6 and 10 last year and they were in the Super Bowl the year before. Um, they could not have been hurt much more by injury last season. And this season, their win total is 10 juice to the over. So if you're looking at that 6 and 10 record from last year, that's pretty misleading even with the extra game this year, that win total 10 juice to the over is telling you they're probably not a losing team. So we want to be careful there. But am I missing anything, any thoughts on the notion of strength of schedule measured based on previous season win percentage? Yeah,
0: that's something you see the analytics community panning every year this time of year when some media company inevitably comes out and just bases strength of schedule on last year's records. Because so much can change, you know, even just like the, you know, the Patriots last year based on, it wasn't like, oh, the, they're a bad, they're a good team that had a bad record. It's like there was a massive change to that team. You can't take last year's record and expect them to just bring Cam Newton in and be good again. Or, you know, some of these teams, like you referenced the Niners, great reference there, that massive injuries, a team with a bunch of injuries, that they were a very good team. They are one of the favorites in the NFC. If they wouldn't have had 13,000 injuries, they'd have been a good team. So I think looking at the regular season win totals from this year is a better way to, because I, you know, that's a a median projected value by the market right now. That's a way better way to look at it. So yeah, if you see anybody doing that, uh, the the strength of schedule based on last year's record or even some other factors, like that's stuff to throw out right away for sure.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to your point of looking more at forecasted wins for this season, that certainly has more weight, but at the same time, there could be a ton of variance there because we don't know what's around the corner and, and often consistently updating that in season um, can be more important than, you know, what we're looking at in May projecting for the 2021 NFL season. So when you even have a, a sharper methodology, let's say, to look at strength of schedule, let's let's say looking at regular season win totals for opponents, even in a case like that, do you give it much weight? Do you think, okay, that might matter, but it's priced in? Or, or maybe there are cases on the extremes where we have an edge. I know um, Warren Sharp is big on putting out visuals uh, that show like the easiest and toughest schedules based on that methodology. So like the Niners, a clear one this year, they have what looks to be the easiest strength of schedule at this stage. And a clear bottom two would be the Steelers and the Raiders. So do you put any stock into something like that?
0: A little bit, like it doesn't hurt. You know, I talk. I've been talking a lot about nudges lately. When you already say, like, I think the market is wrong on this, and then you look and you can say, like, these people do a halfway decent job of projecting. Again, it strength of schedule is not strength of schedule because of all the variants, all the things that can happen. All it takes is a couple injuries and two of your toughest games are now middle of the road games because you're facing backup quarterbacks or just the timing of it. You could have a, a game, especially with 17 games now, you could have a game against your toughest opponent in week 17 and that that opponent might be resting their players now. You, you, and there's no way to tell that in May. You know, you can look at little things like that that can completely screw up a strength of schedule. Like, yeah, we're playing the best, best team in the league, but we play them. In week 17, are they even going to be playing players? That happens every year. So, again, it's all projected, so I don't put a ton of weight into it. But it is a nice little nudge. Like, if I already think, hey, this team's an under-team, this team's an over-team, and then I see their their projected schedule based on something with a a little more relevance, like, you know, some of these analytics company putting out their strength of schedules, it, it certainly doesn't hurt, you know? And and again, if it's, if it's an over team and I, then I look at somebody I trust and I say, they have a really tough strength of schedule. Maybe it's a nudge to just keep me, keep that money in my pocket, and not make that bet instead. I think there's a lot more nudges that way than the other way where it's, uh, you know, I'm always looking for reasons not to make bets that I'm about to make and, I've found plenty of those in, in certainly in that too.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point and one that I try to bring up fairly often on this show is that it's more valuable to pass on a losing bet than it is to force the play on a winner. I mean, if you think about it, you could just say $100 bet size. Okay. You can win a hundred or laying the standard minus 110 VIG. You would lose 110. So if it's a coin toss, you're coming out. Uh, in the red in the long run if you're forcing the play when you're on the fence. So I like that point about thinking critically, maybe considering reasons why not to make a bet. And if you're trying to do that and you can't come up with a lot of reasons, that probably fortifies your stance on having an edge. Yeah. And if you do come up with reasons, then, hey, sometimes the best bet is to pass, and that's perfectly okay.
0: Every bet you make, you should try to make a bet on the other side. You know, just, uh, like what if, what if I was betting the other side? Try to make a narrative for that and, and then start to dig in and see if any of that stuff makes sense. We do that all the time and just game by game in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I think that's usually a, a good way to keep things to a, a manageable, uh, allocation. If you're betting more than two or three sides in a week, then you might be misguided on some of your edges. Not saying it's impossible to have four or more you know, really solid bets against the spread. But it's probably pretty rare, as fun as things are. Like the super contest or, you know, picking five games against the spread each week is just a common format in a contest setting. That's great. But if you're laying minus 110, a critical mindset can can go a long way to keep things in check and help yourself either lose less or maybe, you know, win a little bit in the long run.
0: Well, for sure.
1: One more thing I wanted to touch on re- in regards to strength of schedule would be looking at um, how to time market entry. I think that if, you know, you talk about being nudged, if you were already on the fence about a team like the Niners thinking you wanted to take them to go over and then you see the schedule layout and you're like, okay, it looks like they have a very favorable path, then okay, cool. Maybe go ahead and lock that in. But on the flip side, if you're looking to maybe go over on a team with a tougher schedule and then it... it gives you that hesitation. In season, there can be opportunities. And I think of a team like the Cowboys who start out with two pretty tough road games. And if they lose in the opener in Tampa and follow that up with a loss to the Chargers, it's, you know, it might not happen. But if they start out 0 and 2, that shouldn't be a big surprise. Yet the narrative will almost certainly be that the sky is falling once again in Dallas. And after that week two game against the Chargers, if they are indeed 0 and 2, They go home for three straight weeks. The schedule softens up. So there are ways to look at strength of schedule, not just over the course of the full season, but picking spots within the arc of the season that, you know, if you time your market entry, you can probably get a favorable price and extract more value by being more strategic about when you bet, not just locking everything in months ahead of time.
0: Oh, for sure. And that, you know, that was something we talked about with a few teams every year, whether it's, hey, we're going to grab this team to win the division but we're probably going to, you know, add a team in that division. Like we're going to grab this other team at this point based on they have a really tough stretch to start the season, or even just this team has a really tough stretch to start the season, but they're in a division where they probably still have a chance. Um, oh, Um th- This is a bad one since we didn't make this bet, but I mean, it was just something to keep an eye on and, and you know, you got to keep your eye out for opportunities and maybe one in 10 pops up. Like we said, the Texans, the Texans last year, uh, you know, we said, maybe we'll bet on them to win the division. We never did, which thank God we never did and for good reasons, but they started at the chiefs hosting the Ravens at the Steelers and then hosting the Vikings. And you know, the Vikings didn't turn out as well as they, they could have, but they were on the cusp of a playoff team. And we we you know, we knew what the Chiefs and Ravens were and and obviously Pittsburgh was very tough at the beginning of the season said, That's a gauntlet. Like if they're 0 and four or one and three Like again, we weren't super enamored with anybody in that division. Should we look at them to make the playoffs? Should we look at them to win the division? Like, I eventually found out like our Texans might be worse than we thought. But we've we've you know identifying spots in the in the schedule are more for that than regular season win totals. I think until we start having like live regular season win totals all the time. And I know there are books that are starting to offer that in-season win totals. I think that's something you can, you know, approach if you think you're ahead of the market on the scheduling. But, you know, for the most part, scheduling spots like that are, yeah, you know, like exactly like you said. Like we're looking for spots for entry, whether it's to win the division, to win the conference, to make the playoffs. Uh, I spoke about Zach Wilson the other day. I said if he has a really tough, tough start to the schedule, I might bet him to win rookie of the year after a couple weeks. And I, I think that actually is the plan because he starts on the road two out of three, and Trevor Lawrence starts against the Texans, where he might throw for 500 yards. So you can look at even awards markets to start to skew based on you know who these opponents are early in the season. I think uh, it might be a mistake to bet Zach Wilson at ten to one if you can get twenty to one after week three. So there's definitely things to look at for some of the other markets too when you're looking at schedule.
1: Yeah, a good point about the different markets we can consider, not just thinking conceptually, okay, I want a time entry for this team or this player, but yeah. knowing how to execute is often what it all comes down to. So overall, I think we're about ready to move on from strength of schedule, but would you classify that going back to those three buckets? You know, just something to dismiss, something that matters, but it's probably priced in or something that, yeah, in cases it matters and you can find an edge. Like how do you kind of view those three categorizations for how people look at strength of schedule.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. And, and really truthfully, if you look at the market before and after the, the schedule release, like, you know who the teams are playing. So the, the sequencing isn't massive to the market. Like once we know the order, there's not going to be a big shift in any of the odds. You know, once you know who you're playing, I think it's pretty set in stone and a lot of stuff is built in. So for the most part, uh, I throw a lot of I throw a lot of the strength of schedule stuff out because it's it's already pretty much decided. For the most part, it's baked in when they do release those early numbers. You'll see a few move, and you know the market sentiment will ch- chime in. But I I don't think anything should be completely dismissed and ignored. But uh, like we say with everything, put context to it, like, and look, and, and also track the markets. Like if you you know if you think teams are rated a certain way. And then we actually find out, you know, early in the season who they're going to play, who the opponents are for the next year, you know, start looking at that and saying, like, did the market shift off my perception a lot? Or do I need to dig deeper into this? So I don't think anything should be ignored, but as far as strength of schedule, it's certainly not a number one for me.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think something that we can dig into as a second topic would be bi week timing. And that's something that gets a little bit of play every year, but I'm particularly curious this year with the 17th game being added. Maybe this is me being selfish again as a Chargers fan, but when I saw their schedule, my biggest disappointment was that they're week seven. And that's a long slog from week eight to 18 without a break. And I thought, okay, if they do make the playoffs, it would probably be as a wild card team. And, If they're going on the road at that point, they also have two of their last three on the road to close out the regular season. I mean, that that's a team that will be running on fumes. And we saw last time they were running on fumes in a bad travel spot in the playoffs. New England just blew the doors off of them a few years ago. And, you know, if you're looking at a team that's playing the equivalent of a full college season without a break and, you know, possibly a bad travel spot, that's, you know, something... Maybe I'm getting too selfish here with my Chargers bubble. But there are other teams who have early buys and will have that pretty long slog. Or a team like the Patriots, I think their buy is week 14, which, you know, that that's a long grind to start the season. On those extremes, every team probably would love a week 10 buy. But when we get several weeks on either end of that, how much weight do you give that in terms of how you might look at a team to start the season if they have a late buy or to finish the season if their buy comes perhaps too early?
0: I'd probably look at it later during the season in a game by game. You know, I I couldn't put a lot of weight to that in a full season market if we're still just referencing like, you know, overall sentiment of the team or regular season win totals, you know, but the, but the buys are important for numerous things. And like you said, an early buy is tough. Uh, when you end up, especially with the longer season this year, we saw what happened with the, the Steelers buy got shifted due to some COVID stuff and they, you know, Again, there was other factors, but they looked like hell at the beginning, end of the season. You know, they you could tell they'd played so many weeks in a row. I said twelve, thirteen weeks in a row once we you know, once we get to the playoffs there. So it was it was, you know, for good reason they gave a bunch of players week sixteen or week seventeen off. Like they were tired. That that can definitely be a slog. It's not gonna be good for the the Chargers. They're gonna hopefully you know, just win enough games where they can probably do something before the playoffs and get some players some rest. Cause that is going to be rough. But, uh, I'd say the biggest thing, you know, and when you get week by week, the bye week is absolutely just priced into the line for sure. But something we do look at with those is, uh, I think we were very anxious to see where the bye weeks landed for certain teams as far as quarterback changes. Again, I'm just going to keep going to like the rookie of the year market, but with Justin Fields, with Trey Lance, with some guys that aren't a hundred percent to be the starter on week one as far as a rookie, not you know, they're not in the same boat as uh Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, like oh those guys are starting. You know, we say like, is there an early buy? Could they say, Hey, we'll go Jimmy through week five and then after the buy switch once he's had some time to acclimate himself to the to the process here? So some of those, when we're starting to evaluate rookie of the years, because the biggest thing for rookie of the year again is probably opportunity. So when we start looking at those, we look at that and not only that, but like first coach fired, that's another market that the bye weeks, the bye week comes into that a lot for me too, is we start looking at some of the favorites in there. Like, Hey, where would they fire this guy? Or, you know, if you, if you have a buy that works out perfectly, especially even going back to the previous topic, a tough schedule followed by a buy for a team with a coach that might be on the hot seat, like that's going to help me bet on that market as well. So the bye the week I don't put into, or the let's call it the bye week sequencing or where it falls. I'm not putting that a huge amount of stock into that as well, as far as the overall, you know, how I feel about the team or if I'm looking at season long markets for them. But it certainly is something I'm going to take into account as we get down the road. Like, hey, maybe a team who has back-to-back road games in the week 10 and 11 and had a very early buy uh, or, you know, even further 12 and 13 or somebody like your chargers two and three at late, you know, if somebody it's been a long time since their buy, and they have back to back road games late in the season, it might be more of a fade look than somebody who's, uh, it's back to back road games, but they had a buy two weeks ago, you know, they're a little fresher. So it's something just to keep in the back of your mind as you're going through the year, I think more so.
1: Yeah. I like that context of, you know, when the buys are occurring at more derivative markets or, or just props such as rookie of the year or first coach fired, taking a look at things. I'm seeing the Niners have, you know, the first buy slot this season is week six and they've got it. So that might be a good time to look at something for Trey Lance and the team, you know, the Cowboys are early to week seven. I mean, if they are underperforming early on and if McCarthy is, you know, getting a lot of heat, that's something to just maybe put a pin in it for now, but I, I like that angle of knowing when the bye weeks are coming up for some of these props that won't be getting as much play as season win totals and oh, for sure. other futures. Cool. All right. Well, I think that covers the bi-week timing pretty well. I'd also like to touch on one more league-wide factor that um, I've seen getting increased play over the past few years, and that would be first-year head coaches on Thursday Night Football. Per Cleve TA on Twitter, first-year head coaches on Thursday Night are 7-18 and 18 straight up since 2015. And we've got a lot of them this year, seven rookie head coaches on Thursday night football in twenty twenty one. Do you view this as a small sample, so maybe it doesn't matter, or at this point maybe it matters, but it's gonna get priced in because we're hearing more about it? Or could it still be something where there could be a bit of an edge there?
0: Probably the second, like it's starting to be, you know, so well known that it's it it might not be an edge. And I don't I don't even know if it really was ever an edge because it was such a small sample, but I think for us, again, it was like a negative nudge where it's like, Oh, I'd like to back this team. But then you look like, Oh man, you got a rookie head coach, maybe a rookie head coach who's also the play caller. That's a, that's a double, you know, double negative trying to put together the entire game plan and, you know, the game calling duties on short, uh, short time like that. So we, you know, we take a look at that. And a lot of time it just, you know, same, like I said, it's, uh, it's something that keeps you off a game more so rather than, hey, we're just going to blindly bet against this every time. But, again, it, I think that still carries some weight. And, you know, just kind of a spin off of this too, uh, bad coaches. I mean, a, a bad coach and a rookie head coach are not too dissimilar in the reason. You, you always look at these edges or whatever you call it, like a, an angle that you're taking. Look at the logic behind it. Well, the logic behind this is that they're not going to be as good at preparing on short time as a veteran experienced head coach. I think there's some bad coaches who probably have the same problem just because they're a bad head coach. They, they might've done it a few more times, but you've seen like this guy hasn't been successful ever in his tenure, maybe he's been in the, you know, coaching for three, four, five years and he's had trouble in, you know, in short prep times like this and everybody's going to struggle with that. But there are coaches that struggle more so with that. So not, not only rookie head coaches, but maybe look at some bad, however you want to qualify bad as. And I think there is still something to be said for short, you know, short times to prep for that. And definitely I think it should be a, a, a small part of your handicap going forward, even if this edge is starting to, you know, fade out a little.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Well, I'd also like to touch on a few team-specific factors, and to kick things off, um, I'd like to go to Baltimore. They are just a week one juggernaut, and they're laying four and a half against the Raiders right now. That's going to be in Las Vegas to start the Monday night slate this season. And as much of a week one juggernaut as they are, they're also a preseason powerhouse. So John Harbaugh seems Mm -hmm. to take things a lot more seriously, you know, in that stage than other teams. And with the preseason being shorter this year, just like with the bye weeks, it's a little bit more interesting because we have one more week tacked on at the end of the season. We have one less preseason game. So do you think that might affect the Ravens in any way? Losing a preseason game, any chance that diminishes their proclivity for week one dominance or... Do you think that it could also be a matter of, hey, everybody knows that they've been so strong in week one over the years that it's going to be tough to find value regardless. How do you look at the Ravens entering this season?
0: Yeah, it, it's tough without, uh, without really knowing what it looks like. I mean, we got a glimpse of it last year with the, the preseason being what it was and what, or what it wasn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, not only that, but, uh, camp being light. So hopefully, you know, the, the, we've already had some rookie minicamp stuff. We'll have, training camp hopefully is semi-normal compared to last year. So hopefully the, the preseason just missing one game, I honestly think it's going to be a smaller part. Um, I think it's going to be less less of an issue than what we saw last year is like missing chunks of camp. I think camp is probably more important than some of these games. You see some of these games just uh, turning out to be whittling down games, like the preseason being more important for – the guys trying to make the team than anything, especially some of the the games where you're not seeing the starters play a lot. So I think it'll probably just be harder on the coaching staff trying to get down to 53 at the end of the day than some of these teams, especially, and again, going back to good coach, bad coach, or even experienced coach, less experienced coach. I think a team like the the Ravens with a a good head coach, probably a top five head coach. Yeah, certainly a top five head coach who is very experienced in the league, who's had very high measures of success over the years. And I'm less worried about teams like that having fewer preseason games, having less prep time and getting into the season, especially – Since they have an established offense, they know who their quarterback is going to be, you know, looking at things like that. If it's a coach coming in for the first time, if it's a second year coach, if it's a coach switching coordinators, a coach switching quarterbacks, a a team switching offensive schemes, you know, something like that, I'd be much more worried about that team having a shortened preseason than a team with John Harbaugh and, you know, what they're going to, what they're going to be going forward with.
1: Yeah, to add some context to how strong the Ravens have started this season in recent years, per Rich Rebar on Twitter, the last five season openers, they've outscored their opponents 177 to 26. So I did some quick math and realized that's basically saying for every point they're allowing, they're scoring almost a full touchdown for themselves. So not saying that means to bet them blindly in week one right now, although seeing that number, Ravens laying four and a half against the Raiders, It seems like people are bullish on Baltimore as usual and pretty bearish on Las Vegas at this stage. So that number might only be going up, but it's also in a bit of no man's land. There aren't any really key numbers that we need to be too quick to the trigger with. So something to, you know, maybe put in the back of your mind and monitor as we approach kickoff to the season.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, I'm excited about the Ravens adding a receiver. Hopefully that just helps Lamar. I'd be It's a tough division, but yeah, I'm I'm keen on Baltimore this year for sure.
1: Yeah, um, another team with a top five coach. Um, now his indisputed status as the number one head coach might be in question a little bit, but going to New England under Bill Belichick. The Patriots this year have an interesting factor I'd like to get into from a scheduling standpoint. They're the only team getting three games facing opponents off a bye. And in fact, their week 14 bye is getting negated because in week 15, they play the Colts, who will also be off of that same bye week. And they get a double whammy week seven and eight. The Jets off their bye in week seven. Then the Chargers off their bye in week eight. Plus week 13, the Patriots go to Buffalo and the Bills will be off a mini bye because they'll have played on Thursday night in week 12. So that's a team not even factored into this three opponents off a buy, but kind of a mini buy for the Bills in week 13. Is that something that you think, you know, again, we can write off, or maybe it matters, but it's priced in, or in certain spots, do you see a possible edge there, maybe getting in play against New England?
0: Yeah, I, I, it might be priced in, but that's certainly interesting. And you know, we haven't got the full breakdown. Uh, Drew's got to make his chart yet, but those are things we looked at last year. It's like, man, there's, there's a few teams that get their, we called it neutered, like they get their buys neutered by having to play a team off a buy while they're off their buy. And that's rough. Nobody likes that. You're seeing other teams that are having, you know, other, they're traveling to London. Uh, poor Atlanta, <laughs> you know, that's something that we might talk about as well here. They, they're losing a home game. Like, there are things like that that are not going to just pop out on the schedule immediately, like, oh, man, three straight road games because you see the ad, at at or something, like, things like that. And, yeah, digging a little deeper like you did, playing the, all these teams off a of bye, that's what we hope to get to when Drew makes his, you know, his uh, color-coded chart, seeing things like that, like, hey, this is a team that, you know it might be like oh this has been a good team and maybe we should be betting on this team midway through the season like it's not getting easier you know they they have this team off of by this team off of by they have the, the like you said the buffalo thing that's tough so uh, you know complete the the inverse of a coach not having time to prep for a thursday night game having that extra week to prep you know the players getting rested that's super tough so yeah not not a great look and yeah that's something i definitely factor in uh, my long term look for the patriots this year
1: yeah, and sticking with their division, a team maybe on the flip side of things. Looking at the Dolphins, they have a really long stretch with minimal travel this season. In fact, they will have only one road game between November first and Christmas. They'll ultimately have fifty-seven days with just one road game, and that's something Warren Sharp brought up on Twitter: is the longest stretch in the league with you know only hitting the road one time, and that can be you know possibly interesting depending on how worn out they seem to be. As we get into late October, we know they're going to get some good home cooking. So when you see something like that, kind of the inverse of the Patriots situation, does that make you any more bullish on the Dolphins, or do you just figure they're still playing 17 games, they're still playing, I guess, an AFC team, so nine home games, eight road games, and it's ultimately going to more or less even out?
0: Yeah, and may, I was going to say maybe that's a, it's a product of the fact that the AFC is getting the home games this year. Hopefully they, just, honestly, I feel for the players, but I hope they just go to 18 to even that out. I don't like, uh, I don't know, my OCD kicking in on that. I don't like that, but yeah, I, the, again, it's, it's definitely maybe baked in a little, but that is a long stretch. That's a good spot to be, you know, looking at Miami and maybe if they do play really well, seeing how their market is affected, if they get too over, you know, overpriced, it might be time to fade them once they come off that. Like, oh, they look so good the last, six, seven weeks, it's like, how yeah, they, they played one road game. Like, once they get past Christmas there, it might be like, hey, Miami is overpriced. You know, again, always looking at these things in, in terms of their market range. Like If a team has a really easy stretch like this and they play well through it, they're going to become overpriced where you're going to have to turn heel and bet against this team. So not only, yeah, I, I do love this for Miami, but I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on them where the market sentiment is for them after this stretch, because again, like I said, they could be overpriced come Christmas.
1: Yeah. Especially if Tua's only only passing the arsenal is still a slant over the middle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the NFC, a team that you touched on the Falcons. I know there's been a lot of positive buzz around them adding some firepower, taking Kyle Pitts at the top of the draft. Their offensive scheme should be better this year with Arthur Smith taking the torch from Dirk Cutter. Even in the division, the Saints lose Drew Brees. The Panthers did not land a premier quarterback. So a lot to possibly like about the Falcons. But as you touched on, they lose a home game to London. So they're playing only seven true home games this year. Again, as an NFC team, they were already looking at nine road games it might as well be 10 road games without travel to London, even though they're the de facto home team. So is the schedule a bit of a wet blanket when you look at the Falcons, um, considering they're just going to be one of those road-weary teams, perhaps, as the season wears on?
0: Yeah, that was kind of a downer. And, and I, you know, like we knew that it was going to be a problem for the NFC teams, but I hadn't thought about that, that an NFC team was going to have to, uh, you know, travel to London. I'd kind of forgotten about the London games a little just because we kicked them to the curb last year. Yeah, not great for them. We made some cases for, you know, a resurgence for Matt Ryan. Possibly that happens, but it's not helping me. It's not helping me to like this. Although Drew did just DM me this morning. He said, Art Smith, 25 to 1. It's like, is that interesting? I'm like, God. You know, if there, there is the narrative there and it, maybe it helps that narrative even more, like, oh, this offense was a, you know, they went to the Super Bowl. It's never been the same since and Art Smith came down, turned this thing around, Matt Ryan resurgence. And the fact is, and it might even be part of the buildup. Like Art Smith got put into a tough spot here where he only had seven home games this year and they were still able to go, you know, 11 and six, 12 and five and, and fight for the division with Tampa. Like that, it might be a, a help to something like that, but yeah, it is, again, it is a wet blanket. It sucks for Atlanta. It sucks for how I want to view Atlanta as a long-term you know, player this season.
1: Yeah. It's going to take some getting used to, by the way, the 12 and five, 11 and six, I'm just so programmed to these numbers adding up to 16. So it'll be interesting to see uh a- how that works itself out as we as we start to get better at throwing off projected win totals offhand. It's a definitely oh, different yeah. dynamic this year.
0: I've struggled. I still say San Diego Chargers, though. So it might take I, a while.
1: I would, that's where they belong. So hopefully, if you just keep saying it, you'll eventually be right. Kind of like a broken clock is right twice a day. If you just oh, said yeah. it in the past when it was true, it can uh, maybe be true again one day in the future. But uh, yeah, for now, there's one more team-specific dynamic I'd like to touch on with you, and that actually involves two teams, the Packers and Broncos. Given all the Aaron Rodgers speculation, maybe somebody at the league knows something. The Packers have five primetime games. Denver got one. Uh, maybe somebody at the league is just hoping like hell that Rodgers stays, but they don't know for sure that it's going to happen. But either way, when you look at those two teams, I know that a lot of the speculation is now built into the line. Denver's, you know, widely available at 20-1 to to win the Super Bowl, that's building in a decent probability that Rodgers is there, of course. Um, As we wait for all this to play out in the midst of all this speculation, how are you looking at teams like Green Bay and Denver?
0: Yeah, I don't want to put myself in a precarious spot with them is what I'm doing. Uh, you referenced Cleve TA. He's the one who put me on Denver early. He made a good point. I kind of went back and forth from other people. We were kind of hoping to get Deshaun Watson up to Denver with all those good young receivers. So I bet some, again, smaller limits, but I have Denver 75 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, thanks to him and uh, I think 20 to 1 to win the division. So I'm very much hoping Aaron Rodgers goes there, but at these current prices and where we're at now in the market, I don't want to get involved in either of these teams. Just, uh, cause if you guess, essentially you're guessing and if you guess wrong, you get your, it's just high risk, high reward. And that's not how I, not how I look at some of this stuff. You know, like I said, the Denver stuff, smaller bets just uh, cause it'd be fun to have a, a massive number when they get Watson up there or something. And now I got a second chance at it with Rogers, but in, in you know, actual betting on the season, I'm just going to have to wait for this to play out. And hope he, I really do hope he goes to Denver for for obvious reasons, but uh, I'm not going to be betting, look at headlines on Green Bay. I'm not going to be betting these teams to win the division. I know some people took some shots with Minnesota. I think those are probably right because that number was probably a little heavy, even with Rodgers. But, uh, for the, for the most part, I'm hands off on that because I'm, I'm just scared. I I don't, I don't want to be sitting on a, essentially, if you're wrong, it's just a loss. Like having a loss that early sucks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we've gone through a lot of different factors here and I'd like to maybe quickly summarize what matters most. And maybe there's something we didn't touch on, but when we think of things like strength of schedule, bi-week timing, first year head coaches on Thursday night football, or any of these team specific concepts that we've addressed, is there anything that stands out to you that does matter? I like the fact that you brought up sometimes there might be an angle like in Miami's case where people are like, oh, let's get on them before they have all these, you know, home games but you have the point maybe you wait for all those games to happen and then play against them coming out the other end is there anything you take away from the schedule release that either builds on the factors we've already touched on or anything else that you know might be worth keeping in mind for a potential betting edge down the road
0: yeah i think that two things like the one was just you said keeping an eye on the market sentiment of a team and if if it gets too inflated or deflated based on looking ahead at the schedule sit down look at it like identify really rough patches for teams or really easy patches like you just described for Miami and see how the market reacts. And again, you have, you have to have the right kind of results. Like they have to play well during an easy stretch for them to become overvalued or they have to lose a few games during a tough stretch for them to be undervalued. Look for spots where you might say like, this is, you know, it's almost like a a stock chart. Like this is my buy spot. I'm going to buy low on this team because they're coming out of a rough patch and into an easy patch. So look for those things ahead of time and be ready. I have just a ton of notes and reminders and stuff like, hey, this is where I might want to jump in on this team in the season. And then the other thing is to keep an eye on news, um, especially with some of these weird travel spots. Like uh, we've had games where it's like we're not betting this if this happens or X, Y, and Z happens. And a lot of it revolves around London games or <clears> – <throat> A West Coast team playing two East Coast road teams, like, or a spot where it's like, they should not fly back to San Francisco. Like if they fly back to San Francisco, we might bet against them just strictly off bat at this number. And you find out like, uh, all right, they're staying in, you know, West Virginia or they're staying on the East Coast. Like looking at teams who are making the smart decisions with travel, whether it's the London, we've had multiple London games I've bet on where it's like, oh, this team is leaving way too late. They're gonna look like shit. I think one of those was, uh, a team got blanked. You said the, the coach screwed up. They left at the wrong time. The other team's already over there getting acclimated. We're gonna bet against them. And yeah, it was, it was like 24 nothing or something. It was just that they looked, they looked like garbage over there. So pay attention to that sort of stuff with London games, with, travels to the opposite coasts some of these teams and travels where teams have two or three away games in a row see what their travels doing I think you can find smaller edges in that if you're paying attention
1: yeah and sticking with that London theme for one more moment that's pretty standard over the years for teams to take their bye the week after going to London because of all the travel but the Jets were given a week seven game on the east coast so if they're in London they could have just stuck it out, saved their bye for later in the season. It's kind of like now they're burning their bye early because they play in London early. But London to the East Coast is a much different dynamic than London to California or Seattle. So talk about smart scheduling or or maybe stupid scheduling in some points. It's going to be interesting to see how that pans out for teams that made deliberate decisions that might actually end up costing them.
0: I almost want to say somebody declined the buy after a London game a couple years ago. Maybe the Colts or I'm trying to remember that. It's like, oh, that's, that's going to be rough for them coming back from that. So yeah, keep an eye on the, on the travel, but also the travel back from games that, you know, across the coast or from coast to coast or if you're going uh, across the pond, certainly.
1: Yeah, all right, well, this has been a lot of really good food for thought in light of the NFL schedule release, so I want to thank you for all the insight there. One more thing, sticking with the NFL, now that we know how the schedule breaks down, are you seeing any value on early week one lines or any futures? And when I ask this, I mean, picks are great, but I'm really more interested in the thought process at this stage that could dictate your betting strategy.
0: Yeah, it seems like I like a bunch of unders, which... um maybe again we talk about the miami the uh, that's that schedule's quirk let's call it that they have where they're playing all these home games in such a in a period of time and i said maybe the the market overreacts at the end of it i'm wondering how the market's going to react to last year's high high scoring high totals i think there's you know it, it can only go up for so long like we're not going to see totals in the 70s and eh, maybe someday who knows but i shouldn't say never never work in absolutes but I think I'm going to be looking at unders probably early just because of everything we had last year. And I liked a couple right off the bat, you know, in the, in the Bears game, in the Char, or the Steelers game, excuse me. So some of those numbers I think are opening a touch high for some of the better defenses because it, you know, it's, a, it was an offensive league with the, the scoring we had last year. So whenever you can take up the biggest narrative and the thing they're going to talk about the most and go against that, that that usually isn't the worst thing in the world. And just my early numbers made uh, quite a few of these totals a little too high right off the bat. So I think that's what I'm looking at. I haven't really tied up much money yet, but I I likely will once we have some more widely available numbers.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at bookmaker right now. I'm seeing 50 and a half is the total for that Pittsburgh Buffalo game and 44 and a half for the total in that Chicago Rams game in week one. So Maybe a couple to keep an eye on. And in general, I think I like the angle because part of the reason that scoring went up last year that would have been tough to know ahead of time, I mean, a reason that one-yard touchdown props were just such, you know, good bread and butter week after week. Opposing teams, if they're, you know, facing a third down or a fourth down or if they're down near the goal line, they can communicate just as well as the home team when there are no fans. So... If we're getting a lot of you know, touchdowns instead of field goals down in the red zone or even drives that might end on a third down being converted or not midfield, a team picks it up and they end up scoring. That's not going to be in play as much this year as far as we can tell. We're still not totally clear on how full stadiums will be and it might vary from one stadium to another. But certainly looking at many more fans this year than last and that could have an impact on suppressing scoring. I think a lot of these totals, are more or less going off the charts using historical data. But if they were nudged up a little bit artificially after what we saw early on last year, that's probably not going to repeat itself to nearly the same extent this season.
0: No, and I mean, great point. We did see uh, some some players even came out and said that. Offensive players, usually quarterbacks, signal callers, they said like it was easier to communicate without fans. They liked it. It, was, it wasn't so bad. So uh, maybe we don't see as much of that this year.
1: Yeah, well, I'll also weigh in with one thing I'm looking at in week one. Uh, haven't placed this bet yet. I'm going to keep an eye on it because it is a little bit contingent on what the market does. But I already know I I really like Miami at the current price point, plus two as a teaser leg in New England, taking them up to plus eight. I'm eyeing one more tick on the Washington football team. If we can get them up to plus one and a half hosting the Chargers that would be a second leg. And if not, um, something I like a little bit less, but still think could be worth playing, looking at Tampa Bay basically to win outright, hosting the Cowboys. As far as the Dolphins go, that plus two in New England, the game has a relatively low total of 46. I mean, welcome to the NFL in 2021 One yeah. forty six is kind of a low total. um, But that implies a little bit less variance, also less variance in the form of a divisional matchup. So there is some familiarity there. And the chance to take Miami up through a full touchdown, and again, they'll be live to an outright, has some appeal to me. Looking at the Washington side of things, again, I need them to get one more tick from plus one up to plus one and a half to get them up through seven in a six-point teaser. And They've got an even lower total, 44.5, so that would imply maybe even a little bit less variance than that Dolphins-Patriots game. And the Chargers, I mean, they've got the talent to win by margin, but until we see them do it consistently, it's just going to be tough to believe that it's something you can bank on, because we've seen them year after year just finding ways to make games close that maybe had no business being close. So, if we don't see Washington plus one and a half again, Tampa Bay down to you know essentially minus half a point at this stage, I know that's not really a key number, so I don't like it as much. But I wouldn't be surprised to see some one-way action here. I know the Bucks are currently laying six and a half. It's no surprise to me if they're favored by at least a touchdown when this game kicks off, in which case you're not going to be able to get them below one and a half or one. So just something to keep on the radar. Dolphins as a good teaser leg, possibly pairing them with Washington if the numbers right. And if not, Tampa Bay, a good second leg. I know there are other games on the board that fit the uh, classic long model of teasing through three and seven. And just one more note, like any bet, it's largely contingent on the price. So I think, you know, minus 120 is kind of standard now. I don't love that, but um, when there's a really good fit, like I see with the Dolphins and possibly Washington, that's cool. Tampa Bay would be a reduced amount as a second leg. But there are precious few books that still offer minus 110 on two team six point teasers so if you have a few outs just keep an eye out for things like that and if you've got a book charging you more than minus 120 then they're gouging you and and you can just forget the last couple minutes of what i said
0: yeah don't do that your break even goes well above where Wong stuff works so try to try to find a minus 110 book on teasers and if you have if you have more let me know do me
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly we could we could use the tips um, cool. Well, I would also love to use our time to touch on the work you're doing with Bet Spurts. Um, it's maybe another side of the betting platform conversation after last week I had pro better Rob Pozzola on and he shared some good insight on BetStamp. And we've got some room for multiple players in this space. So I'd love it if you could describe Bet and, you know, what sets it apart from, you know, maybe some other players in this space.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, it did a lot of similarities. We do a lot of pick tracking there. Uh, our biggest thing was, and again, not to pick on the action network and I don't even care if they, I don't even know if they think I'm picking on them or if they care at this point after the check they cashed this week. But uh, a problem with not only them, but other tracking platforms was that people could just go change picks. And that was a big issue. And that was, I mean, that's the basis of our thing. Like people, uh, send an email like, Hey, I want to change this pick. Like, what would you do if you did that with your book? If you if you bet, you'd have to buy yourself out. Like you can't just you know tell your offshore like oh I, I psych I, I didn't mean to place that. No, if you want to get out of that bet, you're gonna bet the other side and eat the juice. It's the same thing on our platform. You can't change picks. Everything's locked in, transparent, and uh you know there there are ways you can shop around on the on the platform. We offer I think eight of the legal books right now, and hopefully more soon, where you can say well. I'll, I I bet it here. So I want this line. So you can do a little bit to try to get the closest odds that you bet. But for the most part, it's this is the line. This is if you want to say you bet this and track this, it has to be verified and looked at by us and locked in and not changeable. So the transparency is the biggest part of what we hope to do. And, you know, also with my job, hopefully we can create some more content here. And we're going to not hopefully it is going to happen. Um, It's it's Friday when we're recording this. Next week, we'll have a pretty big announcement as far as that goes, not only from content, but as far as delving into other parts of the betting space, into other mm-hmm. parts of some of the things people are doing with sports, and not even from a gambling standpoint, but other ways that you can interact with sports uh, in in that realm, especially with football once we get to the fall. So look for a pretty massive announcement next week, and uh, I think people will be excited about that. And that's going to be a big way that we're going to be digging into some more content, creating more content, creating more stuff that people want to see, and hopefully, you know, uh, interacting with the community. You know, we're really big on the social aspect of it now. We have some users who really like that part of it. I think it just maybe getting away from gambling Twitter altogether and just having their own little, you know, community there on the app where they're going back and forth. So we're, we're really trying to foster that uh, that as well outside of just the content, the pack the pick tracking, and some of the other aspects on the app.
1: Yeah, I think this space could use as much transparency as possible. So I love hearing that and sense of community. I mean, gambling Twitter can be pretty cool. There's some really good follows, some really awesome people. I mean, I was able to connect with you via Twitter. But at the same time, it can obviously be a pretty toxic space. So having... A, a pretty safe sense of community among like-minded betters to share some good ideas. I kind of think iron sharpens iron. Like it's, it's great to build that within the same ecosystem. So yeah, that's great to hear. And with you being the director of content with BetSperts, is there anything that comes to mind when you think of like the best and worst aspects of the current betting media landscape and how you'd like to have an impact on that?
0: Yeah, the, the worst part, I, I guess I'll say it's just a challenge for me is that, uh, if you took everybody who identified as a sports gambler, that's a very broad spectrum. They run the gamut from the guy who doesn't understand what the number with the minus sign in front of it after the thing means to the professional who is still deciding that not only, you know, are they a professional doing this for a living, they still want to interact with uh, gambling Twitter, gambling social media gambling community as general and those two people are so far apart that that does create a challenge for content creators and I'm like trying to trying to apologize almost here like say give me a break because you know some of the stuff does need to be more aimed at beginners or you know people who are never going to even get to the point where like you are where it's like they might not care if they win Like it's they're betting 20 bucks a game on the nfl and that's just money they were going to They were going to spend that on lottery tickets instead. Maybe there's people that, that it's, it's purely entertainment for them, but at the same time, they still want some, some content that can, you know, grab their attention and say, well, you know, if you maybe want to try not to lose all your money at the, uh, at the same time this weekend, here's a few angles you could be looking for for the NFL without boring them. You know, those people aren't interested in analytical podcasts telling them really deeply how to, how to handicap the NFL. They just want to be told who to bet. And they were planning on losing that money anyway. If they win it, they're just twice as excited. So it does create uh, kind of a tough dichotomy within the in the the audience. You have the people who are excited about getting better, and the people who never will be. So that that's the toughest part about this whole this whole industry, really, is the for you know catering to everybody at the same time is impossible. And if you cater to one one side of it, you're gonna get a hard time from the other. And if you cater to the you know the the people who are really trying to improve, you're the, the the casuals aren't gonna watch that. So you almost have to have like two shows for every sport. Like here's here's the casuals and here's the people who are you know trying to become rec plus.
1: Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that I've wrestled with as I try to find my voice and, you know, declare my lane as I do this, is just thinking, okay. Um, I've, I've been at this for a decade and I know that I've had some good success. I've been very fortunate to cross paths with a legend like David Malinsky. I mean, I've had some great breaks to broaden my horizons and I'd love to share that with people. And at the same time, you know, sometimes this might do better if it's a five minute podcast, just saying, pick this team, pick that team, okay. bet this end of show. So, uh, you definitely have to be aware of the audience and, and try to figure out, okay, who, who has what goal in mind. I think that's ultimately the foundation of all of this is it's okay. If somebody's goal is to find a few hours of entertainment every weekend and they just view it as lost money and and there's actually a chance that sometimes they won't lose it, then that's great. I mean, if you go to the movies, you're not going to get that money back. And if you watch a football (laughs) game you bet on, maybe you'll double your money. So I, I totally get that. And um, I, yeah, I, relate to the the struggle to find you know something that works best for all people and ultimately maybe it comes down to really doubling down on on one niche but at the same time there's a lot of people out there and it's a pretty full spectrum of of what different people's goals are
0: yeah and then hopefully that's where it's nice that i'm I'm not only going to, I'm tasked with creating some new shows here so we get into the NFL season. And I, I think that's going to be a big part of it, is trying to get a, a few different levels of shows for people where, like you said, you, you phrased it perfectly, people who have different end goals as far as when they bet on the NFL. You know, there's some people really interested in handicapping, some people that just, it's, it's recreational, disposable income for them. They just want to have some fun, cheer for their bet.
1: Yeah. Well, to that end, I, I guess. Before we wrap things up, uh, sticking with your your role with Betsperts, if you could see, you know, more of one thing in the space when it comes to betting content, what do you think that thing should be? Uh, I I think the authenticity like, you know,
0: you have it. I, I'm just going to say I have it, because, you know, however I want to phrase it. But, like, you can tell when people are betting on this stuff. Like, you, and I said this because, we, we, you know, we found out, like, somebody wasn't betting on anything they, they were saying at at any given point. And, like, well, I mean, we kind of knew that. And I said, I'm so far the opposite way where even if I mention a bet, sometimes, like – you know, saying I might place this. I, I feel sometimes I feel so guilty. I bet it small just, to, you know, so in my mind I'd say I didn't lie about it. I bet on that. I still bet on that. I feel I'd feel so guilty, like, saying these are our plays and then not playing any of them. And it, it, the authenticity that comes with that, like telling someone or knowing someone has skin in the game, you can tell. Like You can tell. And I do feel for some of these content creators who are maybe they were just sports people that you can tell, like their their bosses just said, "Hey, guess what? You're sports gambling now," and they just force them into it. And they don't give them the prep. They don't give them the the tools. Like you just tell, like they're not bad people. It's just like they were told, like, "Hey, start talking about sports betting," and they they don't sound like they know what they're doing at. And that's not good content. And maybe it works for some people, but most people can smell BS, and uh, that's been rough. So hopefully, going forward, the content people will be authentic prepared and given the tools they need to actually talk about this th- kind of the right way. Even if it is just, this is entertainment, it still needs to be authentic and, you know, properly prepared.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that, you know, kind of feeling for people who might have been just mainstream sports media getting forced into gambling. Yeah. Um, it's easy to say this, this content's garbage. The bet they're, you know, recommending doesn't make any sense, but, you know, maybe they're just doing something that they were told they had to do. And it's not yeah. something that they, you know, they're personally as invested in as we are. So it's, I think, important to have some empathy for, you know, what other people might be experiencing on their end as well. And also to your point of having that authenticity. And, you know, if you mention a bet, you feel compelled just to make sure you actually have at least some skin in the game because even if you didn't say you love it, if you threw it out there, then other people might be tailing it. And to that end, I, I recently posted a little thread on Twitter about some NFL season-long props that I was eyeing. And I did include the caveat that this means tying up bankroll for a long time. So again, circling back to the start of the conversation, something to be mindful of. But at a couple of my different books that I I would not classify as sharp, I saw some pretty discrepant lines on Trevor Lawrence interceptions for the season. Um, One of them was a flat 14 and a half, and one of them was more or less a flat 10 and a half. I guess these weren't exactly flat, but the big was pretty minimal. And I mentioned, Hey, like there's a pretty good middle opportunity there. I'm like, okay, well, I, I kind of wish I just took the over 10 and a half and left the 14 and a half alone. Cause that seems like a good number. But if I said, Hey, here are two numbers and there's a good middle opportunity. I, I felt compelled to play back some of that 14 and a half. And, and hopefully it's somewhere between yeah. 11 and 14. That is a pretty nice middle. So I don't hate I, it. I but, think so. but sometimes when you have one really good number and one number that just seems fair, you might just want to play that one and at the same time being true to what you put out there so that you've got some skin in the game yourself. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, Andy, this has been a blast. I know we're a little North of an hour now, so we can wrap things up. Um, One piece of advice you would have for aspiring sharp bettors. Is there, is there one thing that you think those, you know, rec plus bettors should, should try to do to build out their bankroll over time?
0: Yeah. Like I said, don't work in absolutes, but don't think you know better because you've learned something. There's been so many moments where it's just like, oh shit, I was very wrong. Like very wrong about something. And, you know, be fine. And as you network, listen, like it's the same in everything. Like you're going to learn a lot more by listening than, than just spouting off what, you know, I've learned so much from people. So really, I think that, the the basis of that is continue networking, talking to people, asking questions, listening to smart people and, and learning more because you're, you're, it's in anything you do in life, you're not going to know everything. And I, I have a lot of people to thank. It would be a four hour podcast if I tried to thank them all for all the things I've learned over the years. So yeah, just con- continuing to not think, you know, everything is the best, best way to approach everything.
1: Yeah, that's, I think a a really insightful answer, and it might tie in with the next question I had teed up. Um, I would like to ask about your biggest piece of advice to aspiring betting content Mm -hmm. creators. And when I asked, you know, Rob Pizzolo a similar question, his thing was to stay humble and not think you know everything. So that totally resonates for this question as well. You also just touched on something like authenticity or being, you know, mindful of what others in the space might be going through, even if you don't agree with everything they say. Maybe there's something you can consider to understand where they're coming from. But with all these factors in play, if somebody's you know just getting into this, trying to create some valuable betting content, as the director of content for BetSperts, what do you really look for when it comes down to the top two factors?
0: Yeah, and if somebody somebody says like I want to start creating content, well, just do what you just said. Start like do something. Find something you love and write about it, or podcast about it, make videos about it, create create. Um, cool graphics about it and put them on Instagram. Do whatever you like. Because, you know, with the authentic- the authentic- authenticity, easy for me to say, really comes from the fact that, like, people can tell you like that. Like, you enjoy handicapping horses. You enjoy looking at, you know, FCS football. Whatever it is you like, start creating content around that. And, yeah, over. and if, if you are starting to, if you're looking to do that, you can contact me. Like, DM me if you're looking to start getting into writing. I We have a program to kind of help people. Start, get that off the ground. If they, if they don't know where to start, if they're looking for a platform to put that on, I'm, I'm hosting some people's writing right now as we go. So uh, th- yeah, my biggest advice is just do it. Like don't, do what, what are you waiting for? Are, are you going to be better at writing next week? Are you, you going to be better <laughs> at podcasting next month? You know, uh, do, do the research, figure it out. Ask questions again. If you, if you need help, but you know, just start. That's what we did with the deep dive. We didn't, we didn't do much prep. We talked about it and like, I think later that week, we're like, all right, let's do an episode see how this goes. You, you can't make mistakes and learn from them unless you uh, start doing something where you can make mistakes. So yeah, just go, just do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, to answer that rhetorical question, are you going to be better at writing your podcasting next week or next month? I think the only way the answer is yes, is if you do it and you make some mistakes and along the way, you're getting those reps in.
0: Exactly. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, last last one I've got for you here. I know you're a self-proclaimed lover of brown liquor and I, I can share that love with you. Um, also weaving in the other pillar of this podcast, I'm a big lover of craft beer and was curious to hear if you're into that as well. If not, that's perfectly okay. But I also know in the, in your neck of the woods, there's some access to some pretty good stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, and even, you know, I don't live in the Twin Cities where there's a massive amount of, you know, craft beer and brew pubs and what have yous, and they're great up there. It's starting to come down here where we have three or four places that are doing their own brewing down in Rochester that, that are great, a few places I've checked out, and, you know, it's a big enough liquor stores here where I can get quite a bit of stuff anyway. So I do love my Minnesota beers too, Shells. I don't even know if I'd consider them craft since it's like one of the – older breweries in the midwest it's like 150 years old but they make up you know they make a bunch of different varieties i like shells a lot and it's it's over in new old new Ulm, minnesota it's a, like i said it's like 150 years old there's peacocks walking all over the property like some of those that have i i feel like a lot of these breweries have peacocks now but you know so i and i did live, <laughs> i lived in wisconsin for a, i lived in wisconsin for a while there's mm. Quite a bit of craft beer over there. You know, even before, like, Line and Kugel's was cool way back. That was, like, a, a thing that uh, was more more native to the Midwest and obviously Spotted Cow and everything that New Glarus does is great. Like, you know, we can't even get that. I have to drive across the border to buy New Glarus beer. You can't get it in Minnesota. So, you know, I, I do love our our local breweries over here quite a bit. And it's about that time of year where it gets awful cold up here. So it, it's more brown liquor in the winter Summer turns into, uh, I lighten it up a little with some nice gins, but a lot more beer in the summer. So I, I've already been tasked with that. I have the text uh, to, I think she might want wine tonight too, but it's Friday. I, I need to pick up some beer for the weekend on the way home or I'll be in trouble.
1: Yeah. Sounds like an appropriate shopping list for this time of the week. And uh, I'm not sure how tough it is for you to make the trek to Wisconsin, but you touched on it. I mean, if it's Fairly feasible to access. Uh, I might hit you up about a possible trade to get some new Glaris if I were to dangle some of LA's better options to get out your way. So maybe something to consider circling back sure. on offline. Awesome. Well, Andy, thanks again for your time. Uh, this has been a blast. I'd like to make sure we can plug your work. You mentioned people can DM you if they're interested in maybe some content opportunities with Petsports. um Twitter at Andy MSFW. the Deep Dive Podcast. Brown Bag Bets, a good daily live stream that also gets released in podcast form and, of course, your work with Uh Is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? yeah
0: just started a golf stream like i said i was joking around with the internet down in georgia wasn't able to do it this week because of the the travels but uh, uh approaching the green i i'm just going to play the course that the the pga is playing that week we'll talk about it a little do some betting and yeah look going forward a bunch more stuff like uh there'll be there'll be a ton of content around the around the bend so follow me on Spurts. follow me on twitter and uh um, you know twitter's my main thing you know i i love twitter i love gambling twitter so any big announcements you'll see coming from there and i'll i'll point you in the right direction as content rolls out over the summer
1: cool yeah and it's a fun follow on twitter as well i mean if anybody wants to see the uh i guess the bucket list clothing item that you have in the sites there there's something good pinned to your profile too oh, yeah. so some good betting stuff but also some some just really fun stuff that goes beyond that realm as well so Andy, once again, thanks for your time. Uh, whether it's uh, a chance to get together over some beer or brown liquor or both at some point down the road, I would love it if we could make that work at some point. And in the meantime, I can't wait to continue following your work.
0: Oh, well, thank and thanks for having me. I enjoyed it, and yeah, hopefully we both learned each- uh, learned a little something from each other today. Goodbye.
1: Thanks again to Andy for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy MSFW. The Deep Dive Podcast, the Brown Bag Bets daily live stream, which is also released in podcast form, and also through his work with BetSperts. You can find links to each of these in the show notes. And while you're at it, friendly reminder to please follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, the best way you can support this show would be to give a rating and review. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, I'd be happy to connect online. You can find me on Twitter at mlandis18. And on Instagram, at Props and Hops. I'd appreciate any thoughts you have on this week's conversation, as well as any topics you'd like to hear this show cover when it comes to betting and beer. And if you're interested in a write-up on the highlights from my conversation with Andy, you'll be able to find that over at dimers.com, where if you're looking to get accounts to get in play for the NFL 2021 betting market, you'll also be able to find a rundown of good promos to sportsbooks in states where wagering is legal. I'll drop a link to that rundown in these show notes, And on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. Thanks for listening, I'll talk to you again next week, and until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.